This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 77 of Real Blend, a podcast that loves Hobbs and Shaw equally and don't really want to pick a favorite. Uh, my That's name not is true. Sean I'm Hull. only doing one of the junkets. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin is going above and beyond and speaking to both Hobbs and Shaw, although it's a required. I can't imagine the amount of miles that you're getting just from this one junket alone, BDK. This is a very interesting junket. And so, Jake, so to give our listeners perspective, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 23rd. And yes, I'm in London. It's 11 p.m. here. Jake's in Chicago. Sean's in Charlotte, Gabe's in St. Louis, and Jake's going to meet me in Hawaii, I believe, Thursday, right, Jake? Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Okay, so Hobbs and Shaw decided that they were going to split the junket into two things across the world. Uh, I'm in London now for Hobbs and Shaw, and then for the Shaw portion. So today was Jason Statham, Idris Elba, and Vanessa Kirby, and then I'll meet Jake in Hawaii for um, this unknown actor, right? Was it What's his name? Dwayne something? Dwayne Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He's new. I, I don't I don't know him. I was I mean Well, I'm, I saw him in something a while ago, um, The Tooth Fairy. And no, I saw a lot of potential. The Scorpion and King. He, you saw him in the Scorpion King. Scorpion King. Scorpion yeah, and the King. Mummy Returns. But also but in, in regards to Sean's reference there, the Tooth Fairy yeah. had the greatest um tagline of all time. You can't handle it, the you tooth. You can't handle the tooth. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was right up my alley. I was like so excited. That that to me was like I did that junket. If you can believe no. it. No, did you really? Uh, I did that junket, but actually, I got Julie Andrews for that junket, which was pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> she's in that. Oh yeah. my gosh, I can't believe she's in that. Uh, That's amazing. Speaking of, not to branch too far, but this week we're getting um, Robert Richardson. Kevin, I know Kevin sent me a bunch of questions. Cinematographer of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, has worked with uh, several icons. Martin Scorsese, Oliver Stone, obviously he's been shooting Tarantino's stuff since Kill Bill Volume 1. He also shot A Few Good Men, um, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Platoon, so absolute JFK. Legend. I mean, this guy yeah. is... Are we the- putting the interview on the show? It's up to Gabe. It's up I mean, to Gabe. If, if, yeah. it, if it passes, you stole my joke. <laughs> if it passes muster. Yes, I will way, record it in hopes of putting it on the show. I got a little bit of a uh, behind the scenes thing. So Sean sends me, uh, sends the group, t- we have a group text, a real blend group, group text. And in that text chain, he goes, I'm, I just booked Robert Richardson for Thursday. And I go, are you kidding me? I typed up 12 <laughs> questions in about, 50, no, it was probably like seven minutes. 12 yeah. questions. And they were pretty wordy questions, too. I just like sat down they, on my- They're really ho- good. Yeah. I sat down on my hotel bed and I said, what would I ask Robert Richardson? Are you going to ask any of those? Yeah, if I have time, for sure. I had to send over five questions to Sony already because he wanted to see the questions beforehand. But I will keep those, you know, as in my back pocket in case he gives short answers. I don't imagine he gives short answers, though. That's amazing. I'm so yeah, jealous you get to talk to him. Well, anyway, speaking of being jealous about people we get to talk to, Blenders, this is the episode that we have been plugging incessantly 
for um, a while now. And, and it feels like a longer time because we've been talking about it a lot behind the scenes as we fought really hard to make it happen. But then we made it public and then everybody's been super nice and supportive ever since then. This is the episode where Quentin Tarantino joins the Real Blend podcast to talk at length about such topics as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a movie that everybody should absolutely go out of their way to go see immediately, uh, the Kill Bill debate, which we uh, finally get him to weigh in on, uh, bringing Los Angeles of the 1960s to life, things he learned from Pulp Fiction, which turns 25? 25. 25 uh, this month, and uh, his use of 1635 uh, and 65? He used 65 eight, in this. No, 8, 16, and 35. 65 eight, 16, and 35. Yeah. Over the course of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Needless to say, folks, it is one hell of a conversation. <laughs> also, the Pulp Fiction prequel that he never made. The Double V Vega. Double V Vega. He, he talks about Star Trek and how it um, may or may not be his final film. So a lot, a lot of stuff we got into with Quentin. We've been able to tease a couple of his audio bites beforehand, but you guys later on in this episode will be able to hear um, the full Real Blend interview with Quentin Tarantino. Kevin, can you still believe that we're able to say that and it's a factual thing? No. And Sean, I have a question for you. So we are going to like, we are, we are, we are going to walk through what happened, right? Like the lead up oh, yeah. to it. I mean, oh, this absolutely. was hands down. And I've been doing this since 2005. The greatest interview experience I've ever had in my entire life. And I, and I, and I, and I'd say that 100% confidently. I, I genuinely mean that it was amazing. It was, it was Better than I we could ever have imagined how this this just the experience. I, I can't wait to get into the whole story. Yeah. All right. Well, first we have to get to reviews because everybody's been nice enough to post some new reviews. Send us some reviews. Uh, you can always email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. You can go to our iTunes page and drop us a review. We have three new reviews this week. I'm gonna zip through. Uh Xander writes and says, if you love movies, this is a perfect podcast. He says, I'll keep this short and sweet for film critic buddies. And then he asks, is Gabe a film critic? Well, I mean, Gabe's a film critic as much as I was going to ask, is Gabe a buddy? Is Gabe a buddy? (laughs) Four buddies? Three Three, buddies and Gabe? Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) Four film critic buddies formed a podcast and managed to land some serious heavy hitters on their show for really insightful interviews. Xander, you have no idea. To name a few, the Russo brothers, John Watts, Robert Rodriguez, and soon to air... Quentin Tarantino. Well, brother, that's this week. My favorite part about this podcast is their passion for cinema, but their open-mindedness to each other's and their audiences, sometimes differing opinions, not pretentious at all. They voice their disagreements in good fun because of their love of film, and that's why I appreciate that's what I appreciate the most. On top of it all, they interact with fans on social media regularly and encourage audience participation to keep you tuned in every week. They've accomplished a lot so far, but I can tell this is only the beginning, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Signed, Alex. That's a really, really nice review. That's awesome. Alex, thank you so thank much, you, and Alex. Along the lines of um, social media interaction and playing along with people, we're playing George Clooney blend at the end of this week's episode, and we got some really good responses from people on the Real Blend Twitter. I wouldn't um, be surprised if all three of us have three different picks. 
Oh, I think we probably do. Uh, really? That'll be interesting. I, I, that'll be interesting. I mean, I, I tweeted you guys so earlier. We were, we were there was like a, a text or a tweet chain, I guess, of the Clooney picks, and I said spoiler alert in my tweet. I'm I would be shocked. I saw your tweet. Picked the I saw. same movie. I okay. I think I know what yours is, and it was well, and it's not mine. It's not okay. mine either. It's not I mine mean, either. It was like it wasn't even a question for me personally, but we'll get to that. All right, Cam Cam F says, perfect for movie chats and interviews. I drive a lot for work, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. This one is a new favorite for me. I'm a huge movie geek as well as a journalist, and I'm so happy to have found this podcast. I was initially attracted to Real Blend uh, for the interviews because they get the best possible guests. Of course, interesting interview subjects are not enough to maintain an audience. The three hosts have so much personality and clearly have a lot of fun each episode. I love hearing about the film reporter process and these guys' range of experience has given them some great insight into movies and how they are made. They are a huge inspiration for someone who wants to write about movies and they are super appreciative and interact with their fans. I look forward to seeing how they expand in the future. Uh, that, again, is another element of this podcast that we're all super proud of, uh, that we're able to bring you guys some insight into the junket process. Obviously, Kevin kicked this one off by talking about being in London, meeting Jake in Hawaii. And I don't think we, we really don't throw that around to be like, toot toot, look what we got to do. I think it's really, you know, to say to you guys, there's some really cool stuff happening out there and we're giving you a front row seat to, you know, some amazing behind the scenes stuff in terms of how these movies are made and marketed. So, yeah, on that note, I was genuinely just sitting downstairs at our hotel and saying like, essentially that it's insane that we get to do what we get to do for a living. And the idea that we are, I mean, specifically right now, I'm in London for a fast and furious film and I love this franchise. So growing up, I worked in a movie theater when Fast and Furious 1 came out, I was obsessed with it. I saw it nine times. I have all nine tickets to prove it. Um, and this franchise has been a big deal for me. And Jake and I, over the years, and Sean as well, we've been able to talk to the cast of this franchise. But like, even Including though, Paul Walker. Even including Paul Walker for Fast uh, for Furious 6. I know Jake got him uh, prior to that in Fast 5 and stuff. But I... It still blows my mind that I am in another country right now for a Fast and Furious film. And this one in particular is crazy because I'm in London and I go right to Hawaii for The Rock. And it's like, who says something like that out loud and actually says it without sounding like a jerk? You know what I mean? And it's like I'm trying to preface it by knowing that I understand this is a ridiculously crazy situation. But I'm just I'm genuinely grateful for it. And I mean that. It's crazy. And I want to point out. The dedication to to the podcast, like Kevin's awake in London at 11 o'clock because this was literally the only time that we could all get together and record this. We juggle some amazingly weird schedules uh, in order to all get together and do this for an hour. And we definitely would not do it if we didn't love uh, doing the show. And yeah, this show cuts into my nap time on a weekly basis. (laughs) Very true. true. You're still handsome. I've I've been looking forward to this show all day. And like I like today specifically was a relatively longer day because we interviewed Idris Elba and Vanessa Kirby and Jason Statham. Black Superman. uh, Yeah, I asked them about that, by the way. So I don't know if you guys are aware. So Rock has been apparently joking about that he wrote that line. And Idris is saying that he improvised the Black Superman line. Um, So Idris looked into the camera today in my interview and said, Rock did not write that line. It was completely improvised. (laughs) 
It is. It was not in the script. I also read a story today, and I don't know who to give credit to for this, but um, apparently a line was originally written in that scene that called him Black James Bond. And, oh, and they thought it was too on the nose or too yeah. obvious to the situation that's happening in real life. I think that would have been kind of funny, to be honest. But, I mean, Black Superman's a, it's a great line. It's a perfect Black line. Black Superman crushes. It's All a great right, last line. Last review. Great, yeah. Last review comes from The Constant 87. They give us five stars and they say, it's a podcast with an exclamation point. <laughs> I thought it was be, it's a podcast with a period. <laughs> we at least got the exclamation point out of it. That's a great transition into my review of That's The Lion review. King, which is our first uh, news item where uh, my review simply was, it's The Lion King, <laughs> without a doubt. But this thing crushed at the box office. Uh, worldwide total in its first weekend, $564 million. Uh, domestically, 212 million dollars since it opened an opening weekend domestic of 191 setting a july record uh guys disney is not going to stop doing this until people stop coming and uh it seems like while we largely well kevin really liked it jake did not jake your review went semi-viral i've heard from multiple people especially at comic-con they were like boy your boy jake didn't like lion king (laughs) i "Uh, did not no, nah, I wasn't like pleased by it. So, what, so what's your, Jake, I want your reaction to the box office. Are you surprised it did as well as it did? Not at all. I mean, I, I did that review with the asterisks of, listen, I get you're all going to go see it. I knew it was going to do very well. Sort of annoyed that uh, so many people paid to see the same movie twice. And you know what's funny is that probably the least successful like remake adaptation is the one that I actually kind of enjoyed, with, which was Pete's Dragon. I really liked oh. the 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 new version of Pete's Dragon. Um, but I mean, at, a big box office does not a great movie make. Like there's, you know, as we all know, we've done this for a long time. Very rarely does you know a big box office correlate. Um, it's great when a movie you love does well, and it's a bummer when uh, the the movie that uh, that you really like doesn't do as well. But I mean, I I knew it was going to do great. And for me personally, I I loved the Lion King uh, remake, John Favreau's film, and I thought to me this is interesting, and this is not a criticism at all on anybody's negative reviews. Um, and I'm not really uh, when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes, I think uh, there's an element of an idea of looking at that rating system and judging if you're going to see it or not. Um, but we all know with Rotten Tomatoes, um, I think it was during the Captain Marvel controversy. People were rating that movie down before they even saw the film. Correct, Sean? Like they're, they're, and I think so. And Rotten Tomatoes, I believe, developed a system where they yeah. were going to verify the audience right. member's review if they saw the film through some type of ticket stub or receipt. Um, yeah, right. One thing I noticed about Lion King, which I thought was interesting, and again, this is not a criticism towards anybody who disliked the film, and I'm not using this to defend my loving of the film, but I found this interesting – um, the Lion King has 52% on Rotten Tomatoes critically with 326 reviews. The audience score has an 89% with 35,885 verified reviews. My point, verified my, reviews? My point being is I don't think audiences dislike the film. I think that audiences mostly like the movie. Um, so I, I, I do think that while... The Lion King and Jake and I had a 
big argument last week about this on the show. Um, I still, in my opinion, think The Lion King is too close to our lifetime to like Pete's Dragon, for example. I never saw the original Pete's Dragon. I loved Pete's Dragon. I, I loved the remake. Um, but it wasn't a personal thing for me. Like I, I don't remember Pete's Dragon growing up. I didn't watch Pete's Dragon growing up. I watched Lion King growing up. I watched Aladdin growing up. And I Aladdin's my favorite uh, animated movie ever, Disney-wise. And I thought the movie was fine. I didn't love the new Aladdin, but I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it. I think that this is... Uh, I think people went into Lion King, in my opinion, with a personalized element of not wanting to love it originally because of how close it was to there. Because I remember Star is Born was my argument to you guys. Star is Born was the movie I said... Why did Stars Born get a pass? Stars Born was the fourth remake. It had the same ending, the same, almost the same dialogue. You're, you're going to uh, get me going again, man. But yeah, my, don't, my, don't, my, don't, my, don't. My, but no, no, but this is a legitimate argument. I, and, and, and it makes me angry because there are people who it's, genuinely it, love the Lion King, genuinely love the new Lion King movie. And there's nothing wrong with liking a film that was remade, even if it was shot for shot. I don't care if it was the exact same length and the exact same well, shots, and the exact same dialogue. It was still the movie that existed in 2019. And I think and because Lion King was the 90s, it was relatively closer to our childhood. It's become a problem for people going into it. When the movie was made in the 70s, 50s, 30s, 40s, whatever it was, those are the remakes that get the free passes. And that's, I have a problem with that, personally. That's well, but I, I want to point out that the audience is voting with their... Ticket dollars, not just mm-hmm. here on Lion King, but I looked up Aladdin. Aladdin is at nine hundred and eighty-nine million dollars worldwide. Right, like that's, there's well, that's a very good. real chance Aladdin, the remake, the movie that we ridiculed before it opened, but could but, cross but, a billion. But Aladdin dollars. was actually not bad, though. We ridiculed it based on trailers it's not bad. and based no. on bad CGI that we saw prior. But the actual product of Aladdin wasn't bad. No, so, it wasn't. No, I think the box office is. But and audiences, but audiences are telling Disney we want these. Clearly, doesn't matter what critics say. Audiences are telling Disney keep them coming, and Disney has Mulan and and Little Mermaid and a bunch more coming. Um, let's shift to something that looks borderline original. I can't say it's that original because at least there's a documentary uh, about it. Um, but a beautiful day in the neighborhood dropped its first trailer. And I know Jake is super excited about this project because it stars his boy. Yes. Tommy Hanks. What was your uh, impression of the the initial trailer and his transformation into Fred Rogers? I thought it was a beautiful trailer. Um, you know, what was great, too, is that I was I, I, what I one of these things that I, I like that I feel like biopics are doing recently is not trying to capture an entire person's life from birth to death, because that's, that's just too much to try to squeeze in in two hours. But instead, Focusing on an interesting thing that happened to that person, whether it was Selma or my week with Marilyn, not really not doing the the walk the line traditional biopic, but saying like this was a cool thing that happened to that person that one time. And I really like this story of a disgruntled hardcore journalist assigned to cover Mr. Rogers saying, look, I don't want to cover this guy. Like, come on, seriously, what's the deal? Matthew Reese from The Americans, phenomenal actor. If you've never seen The Americans, it's an incredible TV show. Um and so him him going and meeting Mr. Rogers and then sort of realizing the impact that someone like Fred Rogers has on the world. And then honestly, I you could sit here and say that I'm biased because of my love for Tom Hanks, but I think he looks genuinely, absolutely incredible in the role. The, the, I feel like he captured the voice. 
And and by no means was am I like this massive Fred Rogers fan. I mean, I sort of like like you know knew who he was growing up and kind of would watch him here and there. But I learned more about him watching uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor," uh, and and because of that, I'm now grateful to be able to have seen that, have a feel for who he was. And I just feel like Hanks just knocks it out of the park. And in true Hanks giving an amazing performance tradition, he probably won't be nominated for an Oscar. I would say that there's like 30% of Tom Hanks visible in that portrayal, right? Like you're never going to not see Tom Hanks. I still see some Tom Hanks, but he's transformative to the point where like, I still see a lot of Fred Rogers and it's the voice and the mannerisms to the point where Michelle, when she watched the trailer, she was like, oh, I wonder if he spent a lot of time with Fred Rogers and really got to know him. And I was like, you know, Fred Rogers died. And Michelle was like, oh my God, I had no idea. She didn't know. I was like, but yeah, I think he probably just studied a lot of old footage and, and watched a lot of the episodes. He's done an amazing job. I, I I had an experience today, so I'm in London now, and I had to do live segments um, back to DC today. And before my segment, they actually aired the uh, trailer for the Tom Hanks movie, and I wasn't visually seeing it. Right, so I was just looking at a computer screen because I was skyping into my station in DC. My I had goosebumps, and my hair was <laughs> raising on my arm, and it was but it was weird because I couldn't see Tom Hanks's face. All I could hear was his voice. And there's something about that trailer where um, I think it's like the third time he says neighbor. Like he almost like cuts it off. Neighbor. Like like, like he says it very like interestingly. Um, And I was just like, it was weird. Like I I felt like I was listening to Mr. Rogers. And (laughs) and again, that's not really the experience audiences will have, obviously, because they're going to see the movie without with the visual of Tom Hanks. But. It was pretty wild seeing that. I'm putting this out here there too. Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor is going to be at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, it's having its world premiere there. Which is not really because it comes out in November. You, no, not Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, that's, the, that's the documentary. A Sean, Beautiful Day in the, the Neighborhood. Itself. Oh, Beautiful, beautiful day, day, in day in the Neighborhood. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, correct. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, it's the world premiere. Yes, it's going to be. That's right. November is when it opens. Um, I've started the ball rolling to get Tom Hanks on Real Blend. Oh, my God. And Jake doesn't believe that it can happen, but none of us believe that Tarantino would ever be on Real Blend either. And we would make the joke all the time of like, well, you know, we'll just we'll ask him the Kill Bill question uh, when he's a guest on the show. And so I'm letting everybody know that this is the new gauntlet that I've thrown down uh, to Gabe. And myself, uh, we are going to book Tom Hanks on Roblox. So if if the Kill Bill, if it, for Tarantino, it was the Kill Bill question that we had to ask. Yeah. I think. Oh, no, I I'm think, not going to ask Tom Hanks about Forrest Gump. No, I know. I would just. Oh, that's actually great. I was just going to say my my absolute go to question for Tom Hanks would just be, "I love you. Do you love me?" <laughs> See, I we we would need to ask him the Forrest Gump question. That would have to. Is be Forrest Gump good? Forrest Gump what are you going to ask him? No. no, no, no. It's a genuine question. You just say, listen, we have a debate on this show that one of our hosts disagrees that Forrest Gump is not good. Sean, why, why do you keep being the bad guy in these scenarios? Like, what are your really thoughts on this? thrown under the bus. No, no, no. Sean can say, here, here's what Sean says. To be fair, I would stand by my Lion King review if we had John Favreau on. Oh, so you're saying I have to stand by my Forrest no, Gump review? No, but I, I say that knowing <laughs> that, that apparently John Favreau won't talk to me if I don't like the Lion King, so... So, so I'll, I'll never have to back that up. I can sit here with my my flag firmly planted, and I'll never have to back it up. So, so the the way Sean needs to phrase that question to Hanks would be, Mister Hanks, Forrest Gump sure. sucks. When we get him on Real Blend, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. 
Tell yes. me why I'm wrong, Mr. Hanks. Tell me why I'm wrong. Because that is how I phrased it to Tarantino, as you guys will hear momentarily. I want to briefly just mention to everybody uh, that we were at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and there's a ton great of news coverage. that uh, people can go back over. What's that, Jake? You guys gave some great coverage. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, we were at the Marvel panel. We were at the Paramount panel where they had Terminator Dark Fate. Um, I am more optimistic about Terminator Dark Fate as the footage gets improved. Uh, I learned a couple of things in the footage that hasn't dropped yet. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Do you guys want to hear or it's going to be in footage? I guarantee it. Yeah. Uh, Arnold's playing a T-800. I assumed he was. But I don't know how. Um, he's an aged T-800 and he knows Sarah Connor and Sarah Connor's still terrified of him kind of thing, but he's clearly not the one who went into the, the molten lava in the end of T2. So I'm not sure how they're going to do that, but he's definitely playing a T-800 because I, I cry every single time that thumb goes up every single time it is, oh, could you imagine that scene played by Tom Hanks? <laughs> it would be beautiful. Oh, uh, what else? No, we also were not. at the Marvel panel. Oh, so Tom Cruise brought out uh, the first trailer for Top Gun Maverick. I thought that looked pretty amazing. Yes. I'm really impressed by that footage. Oh, what a great trailer. And then obviously uh, we covered all of the Marvel stuff. You guys can go to Cinema Blend and take a look back at all of our coverage of the Marvel panel. And Gabe wants me to note that since we have so much to get to and don't want to shortchange Tarantino at all, we will be discussing all of the new films uh in some capacity uh in episodes to come and that would include terminator and there was another thing there oh it chapter two sat yeah. down with the co- uh with andy muschietti i finally learned how to how to pronounce muschietti it's uh there's a gy in the middle of it muschietti and you say it fast muschietti sean i'll so say that's, one, that's I'll, been answered i'll say one thing i yes. was completely against the top gun remake and we'll get into this in right. another show. But that trailer blew my mind. Watching uh, Cruz take off from that aircraft carrier, it was unbelievable. There's no CGI. It's really what we're watching on camera. I mean, <laughs> yes. that, that is He trained himself to fly a military jet. I don't think he's actually piloting it. He's though. probably the second seat. He's the second seat. You think so? Yeah. So I, I give him credit for learning how to fly. Well, let me Honestly, add, I wouldn't put it past him. This is a fascinating thing because I got a lot of comments on my Twitter and my Instagram telling me that because I, I tweeted out, "Oh, Tom Cruise is flying that plane," or "He's in that plane," and I got a lot of responses saying he's not flying it. He's in the second seat. I don't okay. know what that means. Does that mean he's? Jake, does that mean he's still technically flying? I mean, technically so I, speaking, I right? So I flew uh, in an F-16 uh, a couple of years ago, and you do have Not the ability. Da, da, da. Oh, I'm sorry. We get to dro- casually drop where we are, like or, like with what celebrity around the world, but I don't talk about an F-16, <laughs> and that's that's not even the name <laughs> just, dropping. Don't so just no, throw that out. You're yeah, plane so, dropping, so flew, yeah. Yeah, plane dropping. Well done. Uh, so yeah, I flew in an F-16 uh, with, uh, with the Thunderbirds uh, a couple of years ago. And the second seat, Name you dropper. still have the ability to to fly. You can they can pass control <laughs> to you. Oh, oh um, okay. so it's it's not, even if he were 
second seat, he still would have the power to be able to fly the plane. Regardless, I, uh, it's Tom Cruise. He's in the plane. It's taking off. That's yeah. the actual footage you're seeing. That's amazing. I was I was typing in because I wanted to just verify it before I said it on the podcast. Uh, it's directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who did Oblivion, which is an underrated Tom Cruise Tron film, Legacy, by the way. Which is amazing, too. I love Tron, Tron Legacy. Legacy. But while I was typing into Google to find out who directed Top Gun Maverick, I typed in Top Fun Maverick. And I think oh, that they yeah. might be... I think maybe they're onto an advertising campaign there, an untapped slogan that they could get into. I'd so, watch Top Fun. Of course you would. All right, we're going to get to the Tarantino interview uh, because it's too good to hold on to. We are going to uh, have a spoiler review, a full spoiler review of the movie next week because there's too much to get into, a lot to unpack. We want everybody to be able to see the movie first before we talk in depth about all the reasons why we love it. I would even say to you, if you're at this point of the show and you haven't seen the film, pause the podcast right now, go see it. There's no spoilers per se in this conversation, but we do ask specific details about things uh, in the movie. And Quentin is uh, really great about diving into and chopping up things that he did in the process of filming this movie. So I, I think you'll love it no matter what, but you'll appreciate it even more um, after you've seen the film. Or hell, you know, listen to it, listen to it now, and then go see the movie, and then come back. Yeah, come back and play it again, and then listen to it twice. Uh, it's not every day. There, there, there are no major spoilers or anything. No, in there. I don't think so. No, we don't. Believe me, anything that he wanted to protect would be in the third act, and we don't touch on any third act stuff at all. So um, we don't get to see th- say this uh, every single day. Here is the Real Blend interview with Quentin Tarantino.
so ridiculously invested in the media on media of the movie, almost even more than I am to the soul of what the true story is supposed to be. So it's like, like naturally, I probably had like the most fun shooting the bounty law moment. Yes, right. I yeah. knew you did. Yeah, that's six, no, that's, was that sixteen? Yeah. That was sixteen. Yeah, right? yeah, it was sixteen. Oh. Uh, um, and then we also, with the, with the Bounty Law sequence, we actually just used a little clip of it, but I shot the whole opening bumper for Bounty Law. There exists, a, there exists the entire opening scene, all right, leading into the, uh, wow. uh, leading into the show bumper. Um, and, uh, and I can tell you, it looks ridiculously authentic. I mean, it looks like a late 50s show. I was very, very happy with it. But no, but that was just so much fun. Uh, uh, being on that, you know, okay, uh, we had our Western town for Lancer. That was our Western town for Bounty Law. We shot the, uh, not only that, we had to do it all in a day. So we had to do the entire sequence in a day, but then also all that uh, 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 stuff that we shot for the promo yeah, that starts the right. movie, oh, yeah. you know? And uh, so like, we did something like about like 40 setups that day and Leo was busting his ass running from the here to there and it just so happened to be the hottest day of the year <laughs> that day. <laughs> so Leo was sweating balls. <laughs> and you feel free to curse. You can curse yeah, yeah, on the okay. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an amazing um, car movie. Did you drive yes. around LA? Oh, the, the car oh, culture yeah. of LA. Um, so in doing that, you have to recreate 60s LA. Yeah. So I'm really curious is when you did location scouting to shoot yeah. on practical sets, how much of 60s LA is still found here in contemporary in the contemporary city? There's a bit. There's a bit. What you, what you got to do is you, you pick a place that you have a good idea of, uh, of what it looked like in 1969. Um, like for instance, just to give you an example, um, a lot of Quinn Martin shows that were based out of Warner Brothers Studios shot a lot in the valley, so they didn't have to drive around that much. Mm -hmm. So like the FBI, all the time, all of a sudden, they're just on Riverside Drive. Right. And so you can like, oh, okay. Uh, so you look at it and you say, oh, uh, okay. So this is still fairly similar. Mm -hmm to what it was like. We gotta do something about that. We gotta do something about that. And that used to be this and now it's that, but the still, but the, but the, uh, the structure of the building is still the same. I could paint it and it would be like it was. And so you, you uh, and then you go start driving the blocks. All right, so and obviously you're picking you're picking out a block that doesn't have a whole lot of modern stuff around. But okay, so so this looks good this way down here. Well, how okay? Now let's just start driving. And how, how many bogies do we see? All right, that like absolutely won't work. And then you you know you find a place that has one or two or even three blocks mm -hmm. that go together. And the trick is to finding one you want. You'd love to you love it to have some things that have some cool things. Yeah. from the '60s there. The trick is just not having anything bad there. Sure, right. Or, or yeah. nothing bad that you can't camouflage right. to some degree or another. You know, so it's like, you know, oh, okay, that one street looks great. I can build an entire scene. We can add all this stuff if I'm just looking this way. But when you're talking about Brad driving, I've got to be able to cover three or four blocks. When he's on the yeah. highway, oh my God, and, there's, you're and it's moving. a long shot on the highway, and all the cars are old. Yeah, yeah. I don't Even know the cars come in the opposite off. way. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's one. No, in, in that instance, no, that's us shutting down the that's wow. shutting down the freeway. Right, right, right. Like right. you do. Yeah. No, when he no when he turns on onto the with Hollywood the freeway yeah. with the girl. I mean, no, that is like we own the Hollywood freeway for an hour. Wow, wow. that's amazing. Well, and I like the shot that goes up over the 
drive-in. Oh, like that, yeah, that yeah, shot yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. devastatingly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was, you know, and that drive-in's not there anymore, so we did that with miniatures. Oh, did oh, you what? really? Get out of here. What? Yeah. Yeah, what we did is, okay, so it's like, uh, we found the space, uh, the marquee was real, right? and we had a, a, a frame for, for how big, uh, just a frame for how big the drive-in screen would be. Okay. And so, so he really drove, and he turned and, and he turned and he went around this way, and then the camera moved up towards this kind of frame. All right. Then John Dykstra, the great John Dykstra, yes. all right, uh, 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 built a miniature of the drive-in screen, and me being me. <laughs> okay. So when we get over the drive-in screen, I don't want CGI cars. I want toy cars. Okay. I want physical toy cars. Like matchbox cars? Yeah, well, well, cars that can move a little bit, but a physical, like this is a physical wallet I'm yeah. holding in my it's, hand. It's, what does it a say on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A physical car, <laughs> yeah. all right, as opposed to a graphic car. Yeah. And uh, he goes, well, that could get kind of expensive and no one's going to notice the difference. And I go, I'll notice the difference. <laughs> and come on, John's. So will you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I go, how expensive? Okay, you know, uh, you don't break the bank of Monte Carlo, but I mean, I, I think it's worth it. And then, so then he comes back and you go, well, okay, if we're gonna do that, we have to have at least two cars moving a little bit, all right? You know, but, 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 that doesn't feel like cheating. Doing miniatures, that's in Sarah Honda, all right? That's not cheating, that's actually doing it cooler. Camera, <laughs> practical effects, yeah. man. Of course. It's crazy to me to think that Pulp Fiction turns 25 this year. We were literally just watching it in this room on that TV before you walked in. I'm curious, when you hear Pulp Fiction is 25, what's the first thing you think of? And did you learn anything making that movie that you used on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh, uh, um... Well, with Pulp Vision turning 25, everyone wants me to get all reminiscy right. about it, and I'm kind of in the middle of this movie right, right yeah, now, so yeah. I'm just not in a, oh, let me think back to those yeah. days. Uh, gone are the days. Uh, 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 um, but, um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Did I learn anything? Um, no gigantic lesson that I can think of that I, uh, I learned then and I applied here, but I was learning a lot because I still didn't really know how to make a movie when I was doing Pulp Fiction. By the time I had done Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and started Jackie Brown, I thought, okay, I think I kind of know what I'm doing now. But there I'm still kind of learning <laughs> what time it is. Right. And that's the movie that came out of you kind of knowing what yeah. you're doing, which blows well, well, my mind. Well, I, I knew how to write, and I kind of knew how I wanted to direct the movie and how I wanted the movie to look. But just even like you know, protocol on a set, all right. that stuff, I was still learning. Wow! Sure. Like Quentin, enjoy a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoy your drink. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're drinking. Uh, that guy's a margaritas. Not a sponsor, by the way. Um, but uh, so this is actually a question I was going to ask you that I kind of got an answer by accident earlier when I ran into randomly Margot Robbie in the elevator as I was going up. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the film is when Sharon Tate yeah. goes to watch. Her, her film, yeah, yeah, and she shows up at the theater, she tells them I'm in the movie, they don't believe her, and then the, the guy lets her in. It's a really cool moment. Yeah. Uh, it, for people out there who haven't seen the movie, it's, it's a great sequence. Um, and she's actually watching the real, real Sharon Tate. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to know if that ever happened to you, and Margot told me that it actually happened on True Romance to you, and mm -hmm. I, was gonna, I was wondering, can you walk me through what it was like to sit in the theater in a, non, in a public mm -hmm. screening, mm -hmm. not a premiere, yeah, 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 yeah. and listen to people react to your movie? Well, that wasn't the first time. I mean, I, I, when Reservoir dogs oh forget about the fact forget about before reservoir dogs opened i spent a year going on the film festival circuit with reservoir dogs so i watched it in all those festival screenings and then um you know i pretty much saw reservoir dogs every other day for the whole four weeks it played in los angeles um but what you're talking about is it not only did that happen to me where 
hey, uh, I wrote this. All right. Uh, 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 it was True Romance, and it was at the Bruin. Okay. The theater you shot that scene in. Yes, exactly. What? It was, what? I was on a date, and True Romance was playing at the Bruin. I go, hey, let's go see True Romance. Okay. And so we go to the theater, and then I'm just getting ready to pay, and I think, well, hmm. I wrote this. My name's on the poster. Did your, did your date know that you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She yeah. knows I wrote it. <laughs> Just making sure. I, 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 I imagine Quentin sitting in a theater with his date going, this walk in Hopper scene coming up. Yeah. <laughs> greatest dialogue ever right. written. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I go to the manager and uh, the guy wrote this. How do I know you wrote it? All right. You know, so we start talking and. Uh, and actually, my date is the one that starts kind of getting into it with him. Oh, really? Wow. And so she's arguing with him. Meanwhile, like some people recognize me from Reservoir yeah. Dogs, okay. and they come up and they ask for my autographs. And so, like, so I'm off to the side while she's fighting with the manager, and I'm signing the autographs. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the manager looks up, and who are these people? She goes, oh, they're his fans. <laughs> <laughs> They're Mr. Brown fans. <laughs> Give him a ticket. Signing autographs in front of your theater because he has fans. <laughs> Let him in. What was, is it crazy listening to people react to your movies? What? Is it crazy listening to people oh, react well, no, to your it's films? The, well, it's great is what it is. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a payoff for me because throughout the whole experience, when I'm writing the movie, I'm hearing laughs. When I'm editing the movie, when I'm shooting the movie, I'm hearing laughs. When I'm editing the movie, I'm hearing laughs. But I'm not hearing laughs. It's just where they should be. And so there is this payoff when I finally go to the movies is like, and I watch it with an audience, I'm finally getting the real laughs. This is, this is the payday for me. This is what it's all been about. And that's why like for like, you know, the first three weeks of the movie, I'm just constantly seeing it all the time because I'm never going to have this audience yeah, again. True. I'll have other retrospective audiences, but that first audience of just yeah. seeing it. Do you still sneak in to theaters? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah wow. the whole opening weekend, I'm just all over Los Angeles wow. seeing it. Okay, let me see what's, like, what's going on in Torrance. Okay. So we all know what we're doing opening weekend. We're <laughs> yeah, just going to go to a bunch of theaters. Yeah. Well, the line we've been using the most is, uh, he said he's the devil and he's going to do some devil, devil shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's part. not verbatim. Okay, so I'm really curious. No, that's about. what he said. Okay, it's yeah. not verbatim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's um, what Pitt says that he remembers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious about your approach to writing um, when a character is a real person mm -hmm. versus a character that you've created. Yeah, yeah. And your approach to that, how different it is. And specifically, I want you to talk about getting a chance to write dialogue for Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. And potentially, did, did you feel like you were directing Bruce Lee at any point? Well, well... Mike did such a good job playing Bruce Lee that I did feel like I was yeah. directing Bruce Lee from, uh, for a bit. Um, well, in any of those situations, like in the case of both Sharon and Bruce and Steve McQueen, um, I did a lot of research on them. I did read, read a lot about them. And, and I think I captured a, 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 big part of, a big part of it. I'm not saying that that version of Bruce Lee is the be all end all, all right, is everything the man is. But from everything I've heard, he was quite arrogant, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And then, uh, and, and even the things I had him bring up are things that I'd heard him, I'd heard him say in, in one way or another before. Mm -hmm. That's Same thing with the, like the, uh, uh, the, uh, the kids in the killer car. 
you know, yeah. a lot of the things they said, they were my words, but I'd, but I'd heard them say things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 you know, steered it in a different direction, but it's taken from actual things that they had said. Now choreographing him in that scene though, talk about just, cause it was one shot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. gosh. And oh. that's, uh, it's just incredible to me to think about like, uh -huh. did you, uh, instructing him to sort of act like Bruce or did he just nail, he, he had it when he came? Well, he knew he was playing Bruce Lee yeah, and everything, yeah. you know, and so, uh, um, it was the only thing was the fact that Bruce Lee had actually a, 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 a very thick Hong Kong accent. Okay. You know, so he had to hit the Hong Kong accent, you know, or else you're not, it's not Bruce Lee. Right. You know, and he did a really, really good job with it. But he, I mean, he, he was just terrific. I think he'd been waiting to pray Bruce Lee his whole life, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he, I mean, he just killed it. I mean, I just, I couldn't be happier. And, but also I needed an actor who could one, be Bruce Lee and do a terrific job with it, but he had to be able to do the fights well. And he had to be able to pull off the, the one, the one take shot. Yeah, and it's like a long yeah. take. Was it like ten minutes? That's not quite that but long, it, but it's, it, it it's, like, it's yeah. a great scene. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And with the car. Oh my god. Yeah, no, yeah. But it's a, but no, but that's that's fun to actually work out this big. You know, starts out as a close up, and yeah. you know, the, a whole big fight is going to develop, and trying to do it all on a crane. It was a little <laughs> bit in before you leaned over and said, "This is one shot." And I yeah. went, "Holy I shit!" One of my favorite shots you ever did is in Pulp Fiction when they show up at the door of Brett's place, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you stay at the doorway, and then they walk down, have the foot massage conversation, yeah, 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 and yeah. we're just chilling in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That was like one shot. Right, Go ahead, yeah. Jake. Sorry. Mike's actually coming on my show in studio in Chicago oh, next okay. week, so oh, I'm excited great. to get to. I'm going to play some of this audio for him to yeah. hear. Uh, there's a great scene in the movie between Timothy Oliphant, who was fantastic. And Leonardo oh my DiCaprio, God, so good. Where they talk Best about uh, the the roles, <laughs> kind of the roles that got away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as fans of yours over the years, we've heard a lot of like rumored Tarantino movies that were going to happen. Yeah. They just for one reason or another yeah, yeah. didn't come to fruition. The one that always fascinated me was the Vega Brothers. Yeah, Double V Vega. Yeah. Yes. I'm curious, how far into that, pro like, do you know what the plot was going to be? How far into that process of planning that movie did you get? Yeah, I, I, that's the only thing I did know Yeah, was the the premise per se. I don't think I, I, I took it far enough for a story, but I had a premise and it would have, uh, it, it would have taken place in Amsterdam. Oh my God. So it would have been during the time that Vincent was in Amsterdam. Cause he was car scene in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, I remember in Pulp Fiction, he's just come back from Amsterdam. Yeah. He's yeah. telling the whole yeah. story and everything. And and mayonnaise on the fries. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, you know, he'd run, it was running some club for Marcellus in Amsterdam. Right. And so he was probably there for like a couple of years. And so at some point, uh, in his uh, 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 two-year stay in Amsterdam running some club, uh, uh, Vic shows up to visit him. And it would have been their weekend. Oh, oh my God. God. That would have been Exactly amazing. what happens to them or what kind of trouble they get into, I never took it that far. Yeah. Right. But it definitely would have took place in Amsterdam and it would have been Vic visiting him. I would pay $1,000 to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> that and the whole we affair. The ability now, I mean, <laughs> Martin Scorsese is doing like the- The, the Irishman the, Yeah, the Irishman. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I don't right, think enough. so. Fair enough. I think there is a shelf life. Okay, fair enough. A literal shelf life. Your film openings are something that I always wait for. I'm always, like, you think about Reservoir Dogs, like a virgin, circle shot around the table. You think Pulp Fiction. You think them at the diner. You think Bastards, the milk. <laughs> I mean, the. I mean, everything's amazing. I was curious for you as a, a writer, when you write your scripts, is the opening always what you write it as the opening, or do you will you come up with a dialogue scene and go, maybe that would work better as an opening? And and, and kind of like staying in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood realm, the opening for this film. But something I've always wanted to ask you is um, Amanda Plummer's mouth stopping in Pulp Fiction when oh, she uh -huh. says her line. So I know it's a loaded question, but opening wise, but why do you stop her mouth? Oh, it's like a, a, a um, I think 
if I'm not mistaken, I think it's about the first beat in Mr. Lou happening on a freeze frame. Yes. All right. Oh. So it's like so. Uh, uh, it's like if she finished if she finished the line, then I'd have to freeze it during the opening beat. If oh. I stopped it just a beat before the opening of the song, then it can be in a wow. full on freeze, and then the Merrimax title can come up at just the right time. So it was a timing thing about uh, about uh, about a getting stopped. Just that nanosecond before. Wow. And then your openings, though. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Have you ever written a script and then had a, a dialogue moment that you went, you know what, this would serve better as an opening moment, not a mid No, I never had a, I, uh, I never had a, uh, uh, I never had a, a, a scene where, uh, did I? No, I don't think I ever did. There were, I, 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 I switched an opening. Uh, well, no, I guess, I guess that's not true. I guess I did it once because I had, uh, had to do two, two new openings. For Kill Bill. So um, if Kill Bill had been one movie, it would have started with the bride driving. Right. You know, like she does in Kill Bill 2 and saying, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And when I get there, I'm going to Kill Bill. Uh, we still think Kill Bill's one movie, though. Yeah, well, I, no, well, I, I do, too. No, I do no, too. No, no, no. Hold on. We're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah that's yeah, later yeah, in the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that is later in the show. I do think of it as one movie, too, but I still had to open both movies. Right, right, right. But then I came up with that idea that I ended up loving of just having the blackness and then like little by little bringing up the silhouette yeah, yeah. of her laying down on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to get to that, believe me, because that is a great yeah, topic yeah. on the show. Um, there's so much talk, and, and I'm sure you're exhausted about hearing it, about you're going to make 10 movies, you know, and that's, it's a finite number. Yeah. Um, then a story comes along and it says he's got a great Star Trek script, mm -hmm. right? And he may do that. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever think about like, well, I might not do the Star Trek script because I don't want it to be my 10th movie. You know, like I'd want my 10th movie to be as original yeah. as all the films that you've done up to this point and, and getting into a franchise. While that might be fun to play in that sandbox, mm. you know, it might prevent you from doing it or maybe you do that and then do another one. Like, what are your thoughts on just uh, when a project comes around that interests you? Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't do that because I'm, I'm thinking about getting out. Well, you know, there's actually nothing wrong with thinking, uh, I don't know if I want to do this one because the next one needs to be really great. <laughs> you know, it's sure. like, you know, that's almost the point of doing 10 movies is, you know, I'm never doing a job. I'm always doing it for the right thing. Everything is as important as it should be. Sure. You know, um, and how all that's going to work out, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I guess I do have a loophole if the idea was to throw a loophole into it. Sure. All right, which would be, you know, well, uh, I guess Star Trek doesn't count. <laughs> All right. uh, 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 I could do Star Trek, and then because uh, 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 it's your but, rule. But you naturally, yes, it. yeah. But naturally, I would end on a, on on an original. Yeah. But the idea of doing ten isn't to come up with a loophole. I actually think um, if I was going to do Star Trek, I should commit to it. All right, it's my last movie. All right, sure. it's not a le there's, there's no, should be nothing left-handed about it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but it, that might happen. And there also is another thought about, uh, process going on where it's like, uh, uh, yes, it could be original. On the other hand, look, you know, um, maybe that um, that could show a different career I could have had, all right? Where it's like, maybe this is my last original. I'm not saying this is the case. Yeah. But maybe this is my last original. And Star Trek, or any other thing, a book or something like this, this is the career I could have had if I wasn't just writing everything all the time, writing all these originals. Maybe uh, I would have had a different career if I looked for other people's scripts or if uh, I wanted to find a book to be uh, uh, inspired by. Like and do an, punch. Yeah, and yeah. do an, an adaptation. Oh, yeah. That would have been a different career. Maybe that could be fun to explore on the 10th. I don't know. I'm, ma I'm making all this up as I go sure, along. Sure. But but uh, 
those are two different ways I could look at it. Okay, so we Quinn, are, he's going to say something to you real fast, but I want to know if you could cast Rick Dalton in one of your movies, what would it have been? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, uh, yeah, let me think. Um, I, I definitely could have been one of the guys in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. All right, yeah, for sure. All right, go, go, real yeah. quick. Okay, um, we're running out of time. We want to thank you so much for joining the Real Blend yeah. Podcast. This has truly been one of the most amazing things in the world. Yeah. There is a debate. Thank you guys for coming down here. Oh, oh my God. Are, are we kidding? We, 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 it's amazing. There's a debate that has literally started from like day one of this podcast, mm-hmm. and it's about Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. How I believe that it's two films Mm -hmm. because there is an end credits and an opening credits Mm -hmm. to the movie. Uh, These boys both believe that it's one. Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. (laughs) 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 This trailer is for one movie, by the way. Yes, okay, okay. I understand, but I can buy volume two if I want to. Yes, technically you are... Correct, because we released it as two movies, all right? And there is a closing and an open credits, (laughs) all right? but since I made it as one movie yes. and I wrote it as one movie, yes. that's just some shishanery that I did in editing. <laughs> uh, you know, now it works really good that way. Yes, and uh, frankly, the truth of the matter is, uh, I don't think it would have been as popular as a four-hour movie. Right. All right, uh, yeah. I literally had a guy say that to me. You know, he it was like. Uh, uh, it was one of those weird diamond bullets. Every time somebody says something to you, every once in a while somebody says something to you, that okay, I can't unhear that. And he goes, look, Quentin, here's the thing, man. My Uncle Artie would love this movie. I mean, he would love it. He wouldn't love it at four hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I need to see the whole block on that note. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we show it from time to time. Yeah, at Beverly. the new, like, yeah, you yeah. Guys, uh, if you're going to come well, down, come down to I, the whatever. When we show it, we usually show it for a week. Yeah. Oh, wow. And we saw this in 35. I'll watch everything rushed. in 35, yeah, yeah. man. That's all I care you, about. All right, you're being rushed. Yeah. So thank, thank you so you much for your time. This is a Are you kidding me? Needless to say, we have to thank Sony uh, for so much for for making this interview with Tarantino happen. This is something that, uh, to give you guys an idea, we've been pitching at them for months uh, where we just wanted to be on their radar, you know, of just, hey, he's got a movie coming. If he's doing press, we want him. And it it gradually became a, uh, okay, we'll ask. And then... It was really funny. Like I'll walk you through this part of it and then I'll pass it over to the guys to talk about the day of, but it became like we get an email and it would have a bunch of questions about the podcast. Um, how do you guys pull it off? Do you have to be in person? You know, can you do it via Skype or a phoner? And, and we were like, yes, uh, we can do anything you want. <laughs> when, when that email comes back, the answer is we will literally do anything you want. But we all said, all three of us agreed to this. All four of us, Gabe, Gabe also said, if if you give us time with Quentin, uh, we will we will literally bring ourselves to Los Angeles. We will get ourselves to L.A. You know, you don't have to worry about any kind. We wanted to make it as easy as possible for the studio. And um, then as we got closer and all of this was happening before the July 4th holiday, which was extra stressful because we were going to be leaving and Hollywood shuts down around any holiday in particular. Um, and we knew that a lot of this stuff had to be sort of locked up. Before we left, and uh, I, I will never forget, we were driving to uh, the beach. We were driving to uh, Savannah, where we were getting away for a week. And I got a phone call from our Sony rep, and uh, was told, uh, "We got you guys. We got you guys, Quentin Tarantino. Oh. And you're going to get 20 minutes with him." And then we just started booking. We started booking our flights and getting ourselves to LA. So, the day of, uh, where do we start? 
Where, how, how do we even begin describing how it went? I mean, Jesus. Uh, it's funny. It's because we were all there for two days before it happened. And even though, like, leading up to those two days, Kevin would keep saying, like, I, I just don't want to say it out loud. Like, because it's, I just don't believe that it's going to happen. <laughs> I still don't <laughs> think it actually happened. <laughs> he just listened to it in like, its entirety and doesn't believe it. That was my mom. Uh, we were at um, a hotel in L.A. We uh, we had a room to ourselves that was reserved for our podcast. Uh, we wore, as you guys can see in photographs pinned to the very top of our Real Blend Twitter feed, we all wore our Reservoir Dogs suits, which was, I think, Jake's idea. Whose idea was that? I think, first? yeah, I think that was my idea. Yeah, and we immediately jumped on it, thought it was an amazing idea. Then I got to say, uh, and we were... Four hours early? Yeah. How long did we get there? We yeah. got there so early to the point where we saw Robert Richardson walking the halls of the hotel and begged to get him to just sort of jump in and hop on the podcast with us. But he was not doing any sort of interviews that day, um, which is how we're getting him on the phone in a little bit. Um, but the guys brought so much memorabilia uh, with them and we laid it all out on a table in a presentation. And then we wrestled so much with is this too much? Like, this too- should we not? Should we not lay this out? Does this make us look like too much of a of a kiss ass? Kind I, of I compared it to the scene in Ace Ventura when Ace walks in and sees all of, like the die Dan die memorabilia, <laughs> and, and, then he, and he just says like obsessed much. Like that's what I was. I was, I was Kevin, afraid that he and was. And Jake have really cool stuff. Like they have amazing things that they've been collecting over the years. Kevin has all of his ticket stubs and the book that was given out during the Hateful Eight, the intermission at the Hateful Eight. Um, we met one of his publicists or one of his producers yep. who uh, talked about the fact that Kevin has a Jackrabbit Slim's menu uh, replication from Pulp Fiction. And she was like, oh, this is one of the first things that I worked on uh, when I was at Miramax. And we were in a way when we were a little bit cautious about like, are we going too far with this? Every time somebody with Tarantino's team came into the room to see the display they were like, oh, he's going to love this. Like, oh, yeah. this is so cool. And, and people then they would, would bring, bring other people. In. Yeah. 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 They brought someone else in. Yeah. It was and crazy. showed the display. Yeah. We had to so like uh, yeah. to paint the room for people who have not seen images of it. Um, you they had this entire room was basically reserved for real blend, which was first of all, that's insane. Um, second of all, uh, that Quentin Tarantino was going to walk through those doors in you know, four hours. I mean, I think I got there at 1230. I don't think we did the interview until 405 or 410 PM. Um, yes. Yeah, I remember right. it pretty specifically cause I cried right afterwards. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, so that room, you walk in the room and there's, there's a room itself and then there's a bedroom and the bedroom, I guess they took out the bed and put a round table, um, which people use for round table interviews. And, we set up all of our stuff. We had, I mean, I had my Kill Bill 35 millimeter trailer for the for the film before it was split into two films. Unfortunately, um, I mean, uh, like it was it was it was the trailer for. It was Kill basically Bill. that scene from Thor Ragnarok where he's like, "Behold, my stuff." Right. <laughs> we put. I called down to the front desk of the hotel and ordered a DVD player so we could watch Pulp Fiction in the room. <laughs> yes, you so did. We were, right. we were literally yeah. watching. Yeah, eventually, we just, we were so early, we stopped getting ready and we're like, you guys want to watch Pulp Fiction? And we, we just turned it on. Yeah, we literally <laughs> watched Pulp Fiction while, so keep in mind, we're all there four hours before the interview. Yes. And 
Richardson was walking around. Which then was, we got the tip of a lifetime. Oh, yeah. yeah. This, is, this, then, then, this is insane. So then someone gives us a tip. Someone gives us a tip and says, uh, you know, his favorite drink is, uh, oh, she go, here's how it went. I want to give you guys a tip. And we were like, oh, all right. And then, and then they were like, wait a second, maybe not. And they look at a sheet of paper and they're like, ah, he's got like five interviews after you guys. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. And we were like, what are you talking about? Now, now you need to tell us what, what's going on. And they're like, all right, well, listen, his favorite drink is a margarita, but it's specifically made with Casamigos tequila, which is George Clooney's brand of tequila. Which is perfect because we're doing Considering George Clooney Considering the fact blend. that they're, we're doing Clooney blend. And of course they were in From Dust Till Dawn together. Uh, and so she, uh, a friend of ours was like, uh, you know, do with that, do with that what you will and, and left the room. And of course, immediately we're like, we have to do this. I, they just told us. Yeah. They basically just told us we have to drink with Tarantino. Like we have to order a drink. What's crazy about from Tarantino. This story is we were all, <laughs> there, were, there was a time period within that four hours where we were possibly going to get Robert Richardson to come on the podcast, but he had to go. Um, and so Sean and I, right. Uh, volunteered to go downstairs and figure out a way for us to somehow get these margaritas. And so Jake and Gabe stay in the room, just making sure anybody comes in there. They'll, they'll alert us, let us know immediately. What if Tarantino walks in early? What do we do? So I, I'll never forget Sean and I, Gabe and I were fully ready to do that interview by ourselves. Right. <laughs> Sean and I in our reservoir dogs suits, we're talking skinny black suits with white shirts, skinny black ties, like totally <laughs> reservoir dogs go down this elevator and we get downstairs and we get to the front desk and we literally say to them, excuse me, um, we need to order a pitcher of margaritas. And it was a little strange to ask the front desk person that question. And by, keep in mind, we all paid for that margaritas. All four of us divided it by four. Um, and so yes. we uh, Jake put it on his card and we all Venmo Jake. And uh, so we said we ordered it and we said we're, we're ordering these because we need them at exactly 3.30. That was the time of our original interview. <laughs> and we said, can we have them delivered by 3.25? She said, sure. So we tell her we're drinking with Quentin Tarantino, right? So <laughs> the lady brings the margaritas to the room. It's this big pitcher of Casamigos margaritas with five glasses. And she says, I'm here to deliver these. And she was like, she initially said, we're taking care of these because we heard their, we heard that Quentin Tarantino himself <laughs> walked downstairs and ordered them at the front desk, which was not the case. And because we are all, um, we all have morals, <laughs> we literally said to the lady, no, 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 we ordered those on our own. We want to pay for them, please. Tarantino did not order these we actually paid for them to drink with him. So she borrows it. We also wanted to be able to claim yes. that we bought Tarantino I a drink. I can say, and we can all say, we have bought Tarantino drinks. That is yes. a, an uh, actual fact. Like, we have credit card receipts <laughs> that can prove and that. And we also keep in mind, too, we didn't know. I mean, we did this under the pretense of it's quite possible that he walks into the room and says, ah, you know, I'm good. Yeah. And we kind of agreed if he says he's not going to have one, then we won't have one yeah. either. Right. Like we're going to let him sort of dictate. But immediately. So and this is the other part that I'm going to get to before, you know, before I think we got to jump onto this other section, too, because we, this is not part of the audio that was played. It's something oh, that we just sort of kept for ourselves. This is um, this is 
the greatest moment ever. I could, I, first of all, I cannot believe. It was definitely the greatest moment in the history of this podcast. Before Sean <laughs> says this, I have to yeah. say that I, we were, okay, we were all nervous. We were all. So nervous. I was skeptical. Pacing back and forth. Oh, oh God. I, I, I wish there was video footage of Jake and I running into the hallway waiting for someone to walk down and sneaking back in like we were little kids we were like out the door of this <laughs> this hotel and looking yeah. for tarantino's or someone to walk down that hallway yeah this, it, was, it was like two kids on christmas eve sneaking around the corner trying to catch santa yeah and this you have to understand like and and to give some perspective we all took red eyes home to do this interview yeah. we landed at five in the morning we all went right to work that day and it and I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to describe how I that didn't matter to me. <laughs> I, I, Tarantino was so important that I don't care what sleep I got well, or anything. It was that big of a deal. And this was the this was the difference. Um, it could have been a normal interview where Tarantino showed up, was really nice to all of us, uh, gave good answers, and then left. Like fulfilled his that obligation. Would have been like best case scenario, right? If he had just come in and been like, hey, nice to meet you guys, sit down, do the interview. Hey, thanks a lot. That was great. And then and took off. Um, but as he comes in the room, uh, the first room before the before the podcast room and he's being introduced to all of us. This is when it went off the rails as far as I'm concerned. I actually uh, in a good way. don't know in that I way. could even comprehend <laughs> what's about to be said here. He, he comes in and he says, uh. He's shaking all of our hands. Good to see you. Then he says, um, I know that I've I know that I've spoken to you guys before, you know, implying you pause there. Never this first time. Pause there. I'm already. I'm good. At the end. Yeah. (laughs) Just just I've talked to you before. Cool. Yes. Nice to see you. And he's aware of that. But uh, but he goes, but I I was just curious about, uh, you know, what you guys have been up to since then. You know, I just wanted to sort of catch up and, and get up to speed with where you've been. So I uh, decided to listen to uh, a couple of episodes of the show. Um, Did you guys, when he said that, like my stomach sank because in that moment, I just went, wait, what have I said over yeah. the last 70 episodes? 100%. I just kept thinking 100%. like, what? Like, yes. please, God, please don't let me have said anything and, bad that would. And what Sean's about to explain, like it is genuinely like I, I believe in fate and I believe <laughs> in like things happening for a reason he picked he yes. picked literally the best episode possible to listen to of our show prior to that moment well and i will say to you i don't think we get him if he doesn't listen to this episode it was, but, but now keep in mind when sean tells the story it was random he went through a list of our episodes yes. and clicked on the one yeah. that said best movies of 2019 so far. And what was in that episode? So now go and go back and listen to that episode, <laughs> Blunders. And you will understand that uh, as we start to do that exercise, we were all together in London. That was during the Far From Home junket. And Jake was not into that exercise in the least bit because he did not love any of the we movies We were all confused the, what, what the parameters were, too. We didn't know if movies counted that have come out yet. It was weird. But very early in the conversation, uh, Kevin says that you, I think Jake and Kevin both say this. They fully expect their lists to drastically change 
come July 26th, yeah. uh, because that's when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out. Now, at that stage, we had been working the Tarantino angle, but had no clue we were even in the conversation. Everything in that episode about Tarantino was just genuine. I mean, we're always genuine, but that was just us riffing without the idea of ever thinking Tarantino would ever even hear those words. So Tarantino comes into the room because I want to do it from his point of view. Comes into the room and he says, I went back to listen to a few of your episodes uh, and I decided to choose the best episode, the best movies of 2019 so far. And and he says, uh, and one of you guys, one of you guys uh, said, uh, you know, <laughs> I fully expect yeah, my list to change by... Uh, by, uh, what is it, July 26th, all right? Uh, because, and one of you guys, one of the guys says, uh, because when Quentin, uh, you know, I expect him to give me 10s, and he gives me 15s, and Tarantino shouts that at us. Now, I look over at Kevin, and Kevin's eyes roll back in his head, <laughs> and I thought of the famous line from Ghostbusters when Bill Murray says, Ray's gone bye-bye, yeah. Egon. Oh, yeah. I, I was <laughs> What gone. have you got left? Well, let me tell you something right now. <laughs> That's what I, I have spent my life <laughs> quoting Quentin Tarantino films. For Quentin Tarantino to quote me in that moment, it, it, I don't understand. <laughs> and he said it literally word for word. It wasn't even like he paraphrased me. Yes. He quoted me. It would nope. be like me looking at Quentin and going, Royale with cheese or... You know, Ezekiel's 2517 or, you know, what in a country I ever heard of? I mean, it, it would literally be me rehearsing a line to him. That's what it felt like. It was it did not feel real. And Jake was the same way, like because Jake had said something about Tarantino as well. And he quoted Jake's exact thing from the uh, episode. And it was like so the, the, keep in mind, this is the interview hasn't even started yet. We're just standing there in our Reservoir dog suits. Well, this is going to... Which he called out when he walked in. He walked in the room and goes, oh, you guys are dressed like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate that. that. I appreciate that. Then as we're sitting down to start the interview, he goes, I'm going to go see Far From Home because you guys gushed about it on your show. You guys got me hyped he up for the new Spider-Man He literally movie. said he's going to see the movie because of our podcast. <laughs> and that's when all Sony employees just melted. Right, which is yes, funny because, because yes, Sony did... did it's far from home and this movie. And then, so we, before the interview, and I'm not sure, Gabe, is this part of the audio? We toasted with him. We did toast. So that, oh, that is, yeah. my, oh, you guys heard that. And okay, for, you guys have heard for that. For people yeah. listening to our show, we don't, we're, we're not releasing the audio of that, what we just explained to you, because that was just kind of like a moment we had, and we have it just for our own selves. Um, but the moment. But if you're Quentin, a jerk and don't believe us, we have the audio. We do have it. But no, <laughs> but when Quentin sat down, that's when the interview starts. Um, and, it, yeah. You know we've started a new hashtag now. It's going to be release the Tarantino audio. Yeah, release the Tarantino audio. Um, I'll say one thing. Um, for people who aren't aware, we worked tirelessly on questions. We met up uh, for geek out dinners. Um, keep in mind, you have three people talking to, one of, in my opinion, the greatest director alive. And we have 20 minutes. And we all have things. A dude who can talk. And we all have things we want to get to. We all have things we want to get to. So I... I don't know if this is in the audio, but I said to Quentin, um, I said, Mr. Tarantino. Shut the F up. No, 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 no. I said, Mr. Tarantino. <laughs> I said, we ha- we, we're all here. We're all taking red eyes home. We all have so much stuff to ask you. We have 20 minutes and we've all written three or four questions a piece. And he 
couldn't have been cooler. And props to Gabe, by the way, who was in the like right at the table with us. And Gabe was holding up these time signals that I saw Quentin looking at. And I think Quentin actually acknowledged those and understood where we were time-wise so that we could continue. So props to Gabe for that. And on top of that... Gabe was rapping Tarantino? No, he, he was wasn't. giving him the rap. He wasn't rapping him, but he was giving Tarantino an idea of where we were, <laughs> which was kind of cool because Quentin was like sure. totally in on it. Uh, and he was totally cool about it. And uh, I know the audio of the interview already has the Margot Robbie thing, but that was crazy. That question initially was supposed to be, what movie did you sit in that was of yours that you listened to for reactions? But because I ran into Margot Robbie in the elevator randomly, which is crazy, she's the one who told me that true romance story, which I then delivered to Quentin and then Quentin Tarantino told. Um, I know we got to wrap up. I want to shout out to Quentin Tarantino's publicist. So, um, so just to be clear, I get called out for saying that I flew in an F-16, but Kevin rides in an elevator with Margot Robbie, and we're totally cool with that. But that, but yeah, it's, it's, in fine, the, it's in the that's perspective normal. of the day, though. Um, uh Business as usual. Uh, but shout out to <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's publicist, um, who's amazing. And we want to say thank you to you for allowing us to do this. Um, yes. We, we are yep. truly, truly honored that we had the time with him. And uh, it means the world to us. And thank you for uh, um, believing in us to do a good interview with him. And it, it truly meant the world to us. So I just, if you're listening to this, we just want to say thank you. Absolutely. So uh, we did this little exercise where Quentin has said, that he is going to retire after 10 films. And um, Gabe brought this up and I thought it was a really fun way to sort of look at if other directors that we loved uh, actually quit after 10 films, if they only made 10 films and moved on. So Gabe put together this list. I'm going to read through them. Uh, no real commentary. We're going to rank Tarantino's films after this, then play the blend game. We're kind of running out of time. But if Robert Rodriguez has only made 10 films, his last movie would have been Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> He wouldn't. Wait, 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 wait. But he he would not have made. But he still would have made Desperado from Dustle Dawn. He would not have made Grindhouse. He would not have made Machete, and he would not have made Sin City too. Wow. Well, okay. Now Sin City, I could not live with that. Eh, so that would be eh. that's a problem. Uh, if Spielberg had stopped after ten films, mm-hmm. uh, Empire of the Sun would have been his last film. So he would not have made The Last Crusade, Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. Saving Private Ryan, Minority Report, wow. and so on. Wow. Those are all the movies not on his thing. Here's a fun one. If Scorsese had stopped at 10, The Last Temptation of Christ would have been his last film. Wow. Scorsese would not have made Goodfellas, <laughs> Cape Fear, Casino, Hugo, Gangs of New York, Hugo, <laughs> Silence, and so on. Wow. Catherine Bigelow would have stopped at Detroit. So we would not get any more films from Catherine Bigelow. David Fincher would stop at Gone Girl. We would have no more David Fincher films anymore. He would have announced his retirement. This one is going to blow your mind. Stanley Kubrick's last film would have been Barry Lyndon. So he would not have made Eyes Wide Shut. He would not have made Full Metal Jacket. And he would not have made The Shining. Wow. Whoa, wait. Kubrick and, made 10 films yeah. before The Shining and Full Metal Jacket? 10 feature films? Correct. Yes. Whoa, wait. I, 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 I'm sorry, but 10 feature films. Not, not, not short, not documentaries. 10 features were made before Full Metal Jacket and Shining. That's, that, that doesn't sound right. I need to look that up. I believe that's correct. Right. Gabe is Continue. Look it up right I will now. double check and that. This is... 
I believe Gabe. He left his very last one. That blows my mind. Christopher though. Nolan's Christopher Nolan's final film would have been Dunkirk. Wow. I'm Dunkirk is his tenth film. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay <laughs> with that. You're okay with him stopping no, making movies? No, of course I'd want him to continue making movies. My argument on that situation is interesting. I, I do think that Tarantino has a point, but I also don't think he should stop himself if he has the creativity still. You know what I mean? And I do think, you think he's actually going to stop? I do think I that Quentin do I. I think that Quentin Tarantino genuinely is concerned about falling into that category where you become a director who reaches the peak. And then doesn't deliver after that peak. And I think we've seen a lot of filmmakers that's happened to Francis Ford Coppola. We've seen it happen to a lot of sure. directors. And I mean, Spielberg, who I absolutely love, Ready Player One is one of my favorite movies he ever made. But prior to Ready Player One, I think Minority Report was the best thing he had made prior to that or Munich. Can you guys name a movie in between those that was that was Spielberg level greatness? No. I see your point. No, I definitely see your point. He's had more misses than hits in those later but years. For sure. I'm glad he but he's, but he's also made a movie for a different audience lately, Spielberg has. True. I mean, yeah. I mean, but here's the, the thing. The, the audience for Lincoln and Bridge of Spies is different than the audience for Ready Player Spies. One or Minority Report. Like, do I want the BFG in my life? No. 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 I like the BFG. But do I want Spielberg to stop making movies? Absolutely not. I will say this. Um, I, agree, let's I, very, I understand the point, but I also think that I wish he'll keep going. Because I don't want to live in a world without Quentin. A new and Quentin I think Tarantino he will. Movie. I think, it, I think um, after number 10, he may stop for a while. But I think he'll get an idea that he can't live without putting down on film. Okay, Jake, rank your uh, Tarantino films. Uh, starting with number one. Goes to the notes. One through question mark. Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, oh. Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight, Death Proof, Jackie Brown. Interesting. All right, I'll go next. Um, oh, God. Pulp, pulp Fiction. <laughs> you guys are going to be so angry. You're so angry at my list, uh, so I'll let you end with Kevin. Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow. Top three Tarantino for me. Kill Bill Volume 1, Death Proof, Jackie Brown, Django, Bastards, Kill Bill Volume 2. Wow. Our list could not be more different. I know. But isn't that so interesting that we both love a director so much and yet can have such wildly different opinions about which of his movies work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. so interesting. Well, let's hear Kevin's. I want to hear Kevin's list now. I feel like Kevin's is going to be closer to mine. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, Tarantino's my favorite director of all time, so I'm trying to think. This is an interesting list. Uh, I, I have eight Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm, I didn't put nine because that was Hollywood. Um, I am going to opt out of my Hollywood ranking because I want to see it again. Um, uh, I love the film, but I don't know how I fully feel about it yet. Um, in the sense of I read an inter- interesting interview or an article the other day with Robert Roger Ebert, who said um, or some, I don't want to I don't want to quote him. But there was a paraphrasing idea that when he walked out of Pulp Fiction, I think it was Roger Ebert. He said he didn't know if it was the best or the worst movie he had ever seen. And I think he went and saw it again and his mind was solidified. I already love this film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I want to go again before I rank it. So I'm going to leave Hollywood out of it because I genuinely don't know where I put it yet. So I'm just going to – I'm not going to lie and tell you where I'm going to put it. I just don't know where I'm putting it yet. 
So it's a cop. No, out. I don't we both care about the it, cop. That's, okay. that's fine with me. I don't care. Um, but I'm going to give you my list. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, all right. Number one, Pulp Fiction, no question. Uh, number two, Reservoir Dogs. Number three, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, number four, Kill Bill. Number five, Django Unchained. Number six, Death Proof. Seven, Hateful Eight. Yes. And number eight, Jackie Brown. Now, as I sit here, all three pretty different lists, actually. Yeah, I realize Kevin- I left Hateful Eight off my list. I just realized I left Hateful Eight off my list. It would go right between Jackie Brown and I'll give your list again, though, just to clarify it. Okay. Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill Volume 1, Death Proof, Jackie Brown, Hateful Eight, Django, Bastards, Kill Bill Volume 2. As I sit here right now, I would put Hollywood in between Django and Death Proof. But I don't fully feel that I am in a place to f- actually realize my review yet for that film. And I, and, I, and I don't mind that. I actually like the idea that I'm still dis- dissecting it. I'm still thinking about it every day. Um, is, is that why you were able to review Lion King? Because you'd already seen it once before? Correct. No, it's a great, <laughs> yeah, that's literally what happened. Because it, was a, because it was a remake, I was able to exactly see that. What, now, Jake, for Star is Born... For Star is Born, on the yes. on the fourth time you no, saw Star is Born. No, we don't have time. We gotta no, get to no, we gotta no, get to Jake, the blend game. On the fourth we time you saw no, Star is Born. Gonna, guys, you're, you're gonna Jake, get me going. Jake's number one of I, 2018 I, was a fourth <laughs> time remake with the exact. I'll take my headphones out. Tell me when you're done. Ending and the exact right. same okay. dialogue and the exact literally same not you, so characters. Jake will Jake blend knows game he's wrong. Is hashtag George Clooney blend uh, celebrating the films of the iconic George Clooney and Kevin. I've been told you get to go first. Please don't pick Ocean's Eleven because it's a remake. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, can I not like Ocean's Eleven? That's right. Under Jake's idea, I can't like Ocean's Eleven. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Wait, can I change my pick? All right, then? What's your pick? Well, if Ocean's Eleven's a pick? remake, I can't like that movie. All right, hold on, let me think here. Uh, Take my headphones out again. Wave at me when let you're me done. Think here for a second. I'm just kidding. All right, my favorite. I am way past George Clooney movie is. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn. No question. No question. Okay. Zero. I mean, like, it's a great answer. It's a great Why? answer. Why? I think Why? the character is incredible. I think he has depth. I think that his character Seth was. Seth Gecko. But to me, to me, what blows my mind about his character in From Dust Till Dawn is it's the furthest from George Clooney that I think I've ever seen on camera. Like, it's, it is a character that, like, we've seen a lot of roles of his that you just kind of see Clooney being Clooney. Um, to me, this was such a departure. Uh, obviously, a lot of that had to do with the tattoos, the way he carried himself, the costuming, um, that tattoo he had inside of his jacket and shirt. Um, I found it fascinating when watching that film. Um, him and his brother, Quentin Tarantino's character, are murderers. They're uh, on the loose and they're doing horrible things. But Clooney's character somehow finds a balance of being the more moral murderer, if that makes sense. Um, what I mean by that is Quentin's character is disturbing. Like, like all murder is bad, but Quentin's character specifically takes it to extremes that push Clooney's character. Do you guys know what I'm referring to? There's a scene in From Dust Till Dawn where Clooney leaves yeah. the, apart- uh, the hotel and Quentin's character does something extremely disturbing to 
this woman that they've captured. Yeah. And when Quentin or when Clooney gets back from the wherever he went, he's genuinely shocked at what his brother had just done to this woman. Keep in mind, he doesn't, doesn't even say he part. says like, like, is this what you think I am? Right. Yeah. yeah. And keep in mind, they're, yeah. they're both murderers. They're both horrible human beings. And I found it interesting that Clooney found a higher ground. Well, as he would say, he had a great line at the end of the movie where even he says, like, I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think <laughs> yeah, I, what, yeah. what I find interesting is Clooney was able to find an impossible, in my opinion, higher ground of a bad person. Um, and it's funny because you, uh, I, I think of, like, villains in movies. I, I think of villains that have found ways to be sympathetic um, not him particularly, but I think of like Killmonger or um, that, Killmonger is a great example. That guy is named Killmonger for killing people. Yet in Black Panther, we find sympathy for what he's doing and we understand what he's doing. Not that we're agreeing with the murdering aspect, obviously, but we are finding a sympathetic angle to him. Clooney's character, I don't have sympathy for, but I found it interesting as an actor that he was able to find a moral high ground um, in that disturbing space that him and Quentin's character lived in. Um, and then when they get to the bar, oh my God, when that guy puts his hand on Clooney's back and then Clooney won't uh, let yeah. it, he won't let it go for like 20 minutes. He goes, I'm still mad about that guy putting his hand on my back. And then just that whole, <laughs> but I love the, when he's like, I'm going to count to three and he goes one yeah. and he goes two. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite moment in that movie is when Quentin is transitioning into a vampire and they cut back to Quentin and it and or actually I'm sorry, Quentin's on the ground, he's dead. And Clooney goes, I love you. And he goes, I love you too, Seth. And then he like goes into his extreme like <laughs> vampire face and they cut back to him and he's just Quentin with the teeth. And then they go back to the face. I mean, Greg Nicotero, that movie is so brilliant because it was two films in one, right? It was two genres blended together. Um, and Michael Parks, oh my God, the opening with at, at the the liquor uh, store. But Clooney, to me, that's my opinion, the furthest from Clooney I've ever seen as an actor, and it's his best performance and my favorite. Jake, you're up next. Uh, so Sean, you often talk about movies that changed for you because you became a father. How you? It was one movie, this, and then and after. And obviously, I haven't had that experience because I don't have kids. But my pick is a movie that has changed for me over the last X number of years simply by nature of getting older and getting mm. more mature, I think. Uh, mm. And that's up in the air. Oh, uh, nice. I absolutely worship that movie. I probably watch it at least twice a year. Uh, when that movie came out, I looked at Ryan Bingham and thought, what a cool guy. Like, I want to be like that guy, like just detached from the world flying around all over the place like you know like meeting girls do like i just thought like he was my hero and that is the perspective of a kid who has never had his heart broken at like 22 years like a real kind of heartbreak at 22 years old and flash forward i think the movie's been out like 10 years but flash forward to, let's say 10 years and now i watch that movie and i think it's the, like one of the saddest things i've ever seen because especially that that final shot when you realize that he's alone and the, this connection that he thought that he made with this woman, and she describes him as an asterisk. You're an asterisk in my life. And, you know, he took such pride in being disconnected. And then he realized he goes to this, I'm getting chills talking about, it. he goes to this 
wedding with his sister and realizes that no one there really has anything to do with him. And he tries to walk his sister down the aisle and she, she already has someone ready to go. And he realize, he has this comeuppance where he sees the product of a life where he detached himself from everyone. And when he finally wants some kind of a connection, everyone goes, dude, like, you've been gone. And the end of the movie, he's alone. And just he, he, he's sitting at the, at the airport and he's looking up at, at the board, figuring out where he's going. And he real, like he accepts like, this is my life now. And it's because of my choices. And it's and it's that movie's changed so much for me, and it's so incredibly sad, and he sells it so well, and it's such a heartbreaking movie. This just super cocky guy that this ends up realizing like I am alone, and it's my fault. Yeah, and one of the best scenes is when he finally gets his uh, was a million miles. Yes. Is that how many he was trying for? Yeah. And Sam Elliott comes to sit with them. And you get, oh, 10 million, and you realize that he's been sacrificing all of this to get to that level, and it's hollow, yes. right? It doesn't doesn't mean what he wants it to be, yeah. essentially. Yeah, so even I, I say, Sam Elliott says, yeah, he's because he, that's the moment he's waited for his entire life, and then he gets that moment, and even Sam Elliott says, like, you know, like, how did you find the time? Like, even, like, like yeah. how, and he found the time by sacrificing everything, yep. and, and, yeah. and that's the moment he realized the moment he's waited for his entire life was not worth it at all, and I just... I worship it's a great screenplay, brilliantly directed, and I think it's his best performance. Uh, I also picked up in the air. Hot damn! Hot damn. Uh, for this reason, I love George Clooney. George Clooney is, for me, what Tom Hanks is for you, I think. I love everything he's in. Um, and I think he's my favorite movie star on the planet. But I don't think he's my favorite actor because I think he mostly plays George Clooney. That's fair. Uh, various shades of George Clooney. Sometimes it's overblown Coen Brothers humor. Um, sometimes it's just coolest guy in the room in the Oceans franchise. And I think every time he takes a role, he gives it exactly what it needs. Um, whether it's The Descendants uh, or something really light and fluffy like One Fine Day, he's always great in it, right? You never really leave a Clooney movie being like, oh, he really sleptwalked through that. He's great great in it i saw up in the air to also give a personal connection jake the way that you just beautifully did uh saw up in the air at a press screening um in december for awards consideration at a daytime screening i was working for a newspaper here in charlotte north carolina uh i'd been with the paper for seven years came back from that screening and got laid off no kidding (laughs) wow yep Could not have been more appropriate (laughs) of just coming back from that movie on an absolute high of like, that was an incredible experience. Um, I also felt very similar to the way you felt of like his character, we just had it all. Uh, We were doing junkets strong, you know, at the paper. I was traveling a whole bunch. The kids were young um, and just feeling like, oh, this guy's got it right. Like the lines that, that make me laugh so much is how he's guiding Anna Kendrick about the ways to travel, mm-hmm. you know, don't ever get behind the family. Don't get behind, yeah. like find an Asian couple. There's two totally streamlined. Bingo. Right Asians. Behind them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I was like this, I get this guy. I get him a hundred percent. I get him. And again, I was, I was younger. Like you are too. I didn't get the heartache. That's that's lying in the middle of that screenplay. But for me, I came back from that and lost my job. And then so anytime I go back and watch it, I go, I see the J.K. Simmons scene where he's getting laid off. And he's like, you know, I make 90K. What am I going to do? What, where am I going to find another job that it's even close? To this How am I going to tell my kids? Today? 
How am I going to tell my kids I got to put a kid in college? I got to pay like all the weight that falls on the a regular guy who's getting laid off from a job uh, was all of a sudden tangible and real. Right. And and again, it's it's how beautiful Clooney serves the material like Michael Clayton is a movie that shouldn't be as good as it is, but it is because he's in it. And that final, someone even said this on Twitter. They were like, just choose for his performance the last, you know, minute or two of him in the back oh of the cab God. in Michael Clayton. And wh- how many other actors can yeah. hold the camera that way? He's a genius, genius actor, um, but I, I but a movie star. I think he's a big movie star. And so for me up in the air is that I think that's Jason Reitman's yeah. best by a long oh, shot. Without question. I think that screenplay is airtight. Um, and again, it's one of those movies where every year you go back and revisit that movie. The movie doesn't change, but you do. Yes. And and it will change with and you. Know what's, and you so, know what's uh, crazy is that whenever I board my flight to Hawaii on Thursday, I yeah. will cross one million lifetime miles with United. And there's you. definitely this you find like the time? very, yeah. And there's this moment where I kind of pause and went like, <laughs> did, like, did it happen? Like, did I become like, where, like, what did I give up? In order to, as I fly to Hawaii to interview The Rock, I'm asking, "What did I sacrifice in my life to make Wait, this Jake, happen?" Wait, Jake, are we are we both crossing a million miles in this trip? Wait, are you too? Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, what? yeah I'm at that I'm at nine hundred and seventy one thousand right now, and then I think I'll I think I'll pass it on this trip. I think I'm I'm, I'm at uh, I'm at nine hundred like ninety four thousand. And, oh my god! This this trip Remember from Chicago my, to Kauai, a Kauai back. I haven't done the math. I'm assuming so my, it's going to be there. That's pathetic, guys. Yeah, I, I think I actually am going to cross a million because right now I'm at nine hundred and seventy four thousand. No, nine hundred seventy six thousand. And then I flew from DC to London, London to San Francisco, San Francisco to Kauai, Kauai back to San Francisco, back to DC. Um, is that going to get you twenty five? Just I opened up my app and I realized my, I'm at. I, I'm at 428,000 miles. I have so much more work to do. That's still pretty good. So long, <laughs> kids. <laughs> I, know, I know we have to go, but I want to give a shout out real quick to Clooney as a director. Um, oh, one yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time is Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, um, the Chuck Barris film, um, which is just – I know that Charlie Kaufman isn't a fan of what the film ended up being. I know he wrote the script. Um, I love Charlie Kaufman. I love being John Malkovich. love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, but Clooney nailed that movie. It was unbelievable. And also Good Night, Good Luck. Um, I want to give a shout out to that movie. Uh, as a filmmaker, uh, David, what's the gentleman's name who played Edward Mur- R. Murrow? Um, is it Mortimer? David? Uh, uh, Stratham? Um, Stratham. Yeah. Stratham. Uh, pheno- phenomenal performance. Um, Clooney is extremely talented. And I, you know, I joke that, and Sean said he plays a lot of himself in these movies, but guy's versatile. The guy has an insane talent. And that's why Um, I went with From Dust Till Dawn, because I genuinely think that that was, to me, the furthest from who Clooney is. What was the name of the movie that he won supporting actor for? Siriana. 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 That's one of the funniest Oscar things. He was up for director. Oh, yeah. Because didn't he say, like, I guess I'm not winning director. Guess I'm not winning director. <laughs> this is a great line. All right, audience picks. Uh, Tracy Stringfellow on our Real Blend Twitter account says, always on rotation, Three Kings. Great. Yeah. Uh, David O. Russell? David O. Yeah. Russell, uh, Ice Cube, and yeah. Spike Jones. Three Kings had some really cool um, shots. Like when you went inside yeah. the bodies, the bones broke. 
Remember those? Like the, I, I think that was Three Kings. It's been a while sure. since I've seen I that movie. Yeah. Uh, Apple Juice says, "Oh brother, where art thou?" Great movie. Mark Stout says, "Up in the air." Jose Villa Jr. says, "The American." And Kristen Odland says, "From Dust Till Dawn." Gabe also notes that quite a few people actually said Batman and Robin, and Ooh. is actually going to uh, leave it at that. That's probably uh, I, ironic. We do, picks. we do have Cinema Blend's own Michael Reyes in the room uh, here in London with me. He's here for Hobbs and Shaw. He's going to give his quick. Uh, just uh, Hi, Reyes. Uh, what is your what is your uh, what is your pick for Clooney Blend? I wanted to say Ocean's Eleven, but a- after everybody reminded me about Up in the Air, it's Up in the Air. Hot damn! Just oh, I remember watching that, and when it got robbed for Best Picture that year, I was pissed because watching him what just is- put it all out there and that ending. Ah! What did it lose to? I forget. Up in the oh, air. what did what did uh, what did it lose to? It lost a uh, Hurt Locker. Oh wow! If I'm not mistaken, uh, that was that was that Avatar year too. That was Avatar year. Yeah, that was, was Avatar, Avatar year that was also. Up. That's right. I, I want to give a shout out. Follow uh, Michael on Twitter, Mister Controversy eighty uh, three. He's a good yes. dude. He's a good man. He's a good man. Michael, I'll see you in Hawaii, Cinema, baby. Cinema, Cinema Blends owned. Um, Michael's awesome. So. All right. So uh, for next week, we're starting a project um, from now till the end of the year. Once a month, this is at the recommendation of one of our blunders. I forget who, who it said was it, me. but we're taking the idea and running with it. Was it you? Yeah, because I've been watching that right. CNN uh, movie series. Oh, cool. Okay, we're going to choose a different decade once a month and uh, break down what we think is the best movie of that year. And we did the math. Of the decade. That if we do, of the decade, right. If we do the 60s uh, in, for July, before July wraps up, then we'll do the 70s. In August, the 80s in September, the 90s in October, the 2000s in November, and the 2010s. Is that what it's called? The, the, uh, doesn't someone call them the aughts? Is that something I'm making up? Uh, we'll do that in December. Anyway, so you're at 60s blend. Hashtag 60s blend, 60s, not spelled out. Uh, and this will be where we discuss our favorite or the best films. Of the 1960s. So you can get us your picks uh, via social media, hashtag 60s blend. What a good Just idea Kevin. from me. <laughs> and before we go, um, yes. since, this is, since this is the week of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think we should all at least give our rating of the film as we stand at the moment. Uh, sure. I am I am at a four and a half out of five. Sean's a four and a half out of five. Jake, you're out of ten. Where are you? Uh, I'm five out of five. Five, five out of five. Out of five. Woo. Love there it. we go. There we go. All right. So hashtag yeah. 60s blend. Uh, oh, Gabe, put in red text. Before you ask, it's your favorite, not your best film from the 1960s. Uh, play along on social media. Email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. Go to Twitter uh, and give us feedback on the Tarantino interview. We obviously would love to hear uh, what you guys thought about it. We would not be able to, in all honesty, do interviews like this if you guys were not supportive of the show. Um, if we were just, you know, doing this to a couple of different people, the show would not be growing at quite the... the but, but, but studios are paying attention. They're seeing the interaction with us on social media. They understand that we're becoming a podcast that directors like to come on to, and we think that you guys like listening to them. So I want to just take a moment to thank everybody who uh, listens to Good us. Call. And supports us uh, because we got a chance to interview Quentin Tarantino for our podcast. And a large part of that is because you guys are listening to us and supporting us. So we really, yeah. really appreciate it. 
Well, and next week we will break down in full uh, why the movie worked for us. So be sure you go see it. Play along with that conversation next week. Um, we are at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, the whole show at Real Blend. We'll be back next week. And until we meet again, Blenders. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Dunkirk. <laughs>